So last Sunday, I, uh, I went home and uh, after church, which is my habit, and then we were going to go out to that picnic later, which was fantastic. Thank you to the Glennons, wherever you are, for hosting that. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. It's very cool. And, uh, but I went home from, from church on Sunday morning, and I, I had like, it was so disappointing. I went home, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to crash on my couch for a little while, and I'm going to watch the PGA Championship. And so I got home, and I get down on my couch, and I, and I turn on the TV, and I forget still that we live on the East Coast now, which means that it wasn't on yet. <laughs> it was an infomercial. And so I got home, and I was like all excited, and I'm just going to chill, and I'm going to watch Rory and Phil and the gang kind of do their thing, and instead I got hair club for men. <sighs> There's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm going to let it go, all right? So don't laugh so hard. Um, so here's why I tell you that is because this morning so many of you came in good faith because you thought, man, that series that Paul's been going through, it's so fantastic. I want to hear more about Augustine and Athanasius and Francis and these giants of the faith. And instead, what you're going to get this morning is an infomercial. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about is small groups. I'm going to tell you a little bit about why I think small groups are so important for our Christian life. And let me just say from the beginning that what we're really talking about is not small groups. All right, that's just, the, that's just the form, okay? What we care about is the function. And what I'm absolutely convinced of is that God desires every one of us to live in community with other believers. That, that God uses community in our lives, these relationships that we have with other believers, to shape us and to mold us and to make us more like his son. And so we're not talking about small groups, right? That's just one expression of that. But what we're really talking about is these relationships, this community that he wants all of us to experience. And through that, we experience God in a unique way. Right? I can't experience God on my own in the same way that I can experience it with others. Right? It's through that relationship with other people that I experience his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy in, in unique ways that I can't on my own. And God then uses that as I experience him to begin to change me and make me more like Christ. All right, and I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. I'm convinced of that because of what I've seen in God's word. I think that's evident. We're going to get to that in a moment. But also because of what he's done in my own life. And so I want to take just a moment and share with you a little bit about my story. I, um, when I got to college, I kind of had this, this mantra at that point that it was going to be me and God versus the world. Have you ever thought that? It was like, it's just going to be me and God. I, I'm tired of dealing with all these other people, Right. It's everyone else who seems to be getting in the way. And, you know, by the time I'd gotten there, I'd been burned in a few relationships. You know, people that I'd known in the church who I trusted. I'd seen other people through the church get burned. Right? And so by the time I got to college, I was like, you know, I'm done with that. I'm not going to really open up. I'm not going to let people in. I'm going to kind of do my thing. And it's going to be me and God. But God has a funny way of dealing with us when we decide that. And so when I got there, I got involved with this organization called uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And some of you may have heard of it. Uh, it's, it's a parachurch organization. It's on campuses. And one of the primary ways that they uh, lead people through discipleship is through small groups. And so uh, I got involved with them. And I actually started attending some small groups. And I actually ended up leading some different small groups. But at some point, uh, a mentor of mine came to me and said, Hey, man, you, you've got these walls. Like, he just looked me right in the eye and said, you, you are not really vulnerable with people. Like, you're really not letting people in. And, and my response to him just outright was, yeah, I'm not having any of that. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I, I've been down that road. That didn't work out so well. So this is who I'm going to be now. I'm not going to let anyone really know the real me because that, that leads to bad things. But God began to use uh, people like 
like Chris and, and, and people like Pete and people like uh, uh, John, you know, these friends of mine, these mentors to, to begin to chip away at that wall. Uh, for me, though, it really culminated uh, when after college, I joined up with that same organization. I actually went on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. It's called Crew Now. And what they did was they took me and they put me on this team. Okay, now some of you have teams at work. Maybe you've been on sports teams. Like you're familiar with this concept of team. So you do a lot of things together. You've got this mission that you're on as a team, right? You're trying to accomplish something. And so they took me and they put me on this team of seven women and one other guy. Seven women and one other guy. Now, I, um, I don't really, how do I put this? Very delicately. Um, every guy who understands his wife perfectly, raise your hand so we can see who's a liar, okay? Right? See, there, there's nothing wrong with the women. It's just me, right? I, I don't understand women perfectly. And at that point, I really didn't. So they put me on this team with seven women, one other guy. And they took us and they dropped us into Rome, Italy. And they said, okay, go and spread the gospel. Make disciples. Go. And we're like, how? And they're like, figure it out. Good luck. Have fun. And so uh, you remember that show, uh, MTV's, was it MTV, The Real World? You guys remember that show? And there, it had this tagline. It's like, when everyone quits pretending and they get real. And so for us, understand that this was like, this was like real world Rome. This was our version of it. And we were a dysfunctional mess. It was a disaster. And I always tell people that, and they're like, come on, how bad could it have been? I mean, you're like super Christians. You're like these missionaries. We're taking you, and you're going out there, and you're sharing the gospel. Listen, it was awful. We were like yelling at each other and fighting all the time. I made all seven women cry within the first couple of months. Okay, I'm, I'm not proud of that, all right? I was a jerk, all right? We were a dysfunctional mess. In fact, it got so bad that they actually had uh, this, uh, our regional directors back in Indianapolis, stateside, they actually sent a couple over to our team to see if they were going to have to pull us out of the country. Like, it was that bad. They were like, we may just have to pull the plug on this whole thing. But then something amazing began to happen. And I didn't see it happening, right? It was, it was incremental in one sense. But over the course of the first three, four months that we were there, we, we began to learn how to forgive each other. And we began to learn how to give each other grace. And God began to chip down those walls even more. To the point that I can tell you, honestly, that there's no way that I'm sitting up here right now had I not had that experience. I think I'd still be going around trying to to be somebody that I'm not. And really living in fear that anybody would know me. And and to to live in the full expression of God's love, you, you can't live that way doesn't work that way. And I say all that because what I want you to understand is that team where that kind of culminated for me, and you're not going to believe this, okay? So just, just hear me out. But that team, you know what we were? We were a small group on steroids. We were. We were a small group on steroids. You're going, ah, you're talking about small groups over here. We're, we're, that's not the same thing, right? You're going to put us with some small people, you know, there's small people, small groups over here. If I'm in your group, um, these small groups over here, and you're not sending us overseas. You're not going to drop us in there. We're not living together, everything. Yeah, I get all that, but understand that it was like a pressure cooker for us. But those same experiences are possible, and God wants to use those same experiences in community, in relationship right here. And it may not be that intense. I kind of hope it's not in some sense, because that was awful, all right? But over time, God wants to use community in the same way. 
that we begin to experience him in unique ways and we begin to, to rub shoulders and do that life-on-life work that God uses so powerfully in our lives. God has created us to live that way. And so what I want to do in the, the last few moments that I've got here um, is I want to share with you uh, just one way that we experience God uniquely in community and, and really God's love. That's what I want to talk about. And so I want to look at this passage. Um, if I got this up here, yeah. It's okay. We'll leave it for just a second. So uh, we're going to look at this passage in, in John 13. I just want to look at one verse. There it is. Because in this verse, and you guys are familiar with it, okay? So nobody's like, wait, that's r- remarkable, okay? Um, but understand that, that in this verse, Jesus is making a profound and even outlandish statement. I mean, it is, it's mind-blowing to me, this statement. So here's what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, the, the way we normally read this and the way that, and this is a legitimate reading, okay? This is how we're supposed to read this initially, okay? Is we, we understand this, we go, okay, how are we supposed to love one another? That's what he's telling us. He's giving this commandment, love one another. Okay, how should we love one another? We're supposed to love one another the way that Jesus loves us. Okay, so how does Jesus love us? Well, he loves us unconditionally. Right? He loves us with this deep commitment that knows no bounds. He, he loves us self-sacrificially, right? He, he sacrifices himself on our behalf. So we all got that, right? We all go, okay, that's how Jesus loves me. That's how I'm supposed to love everybody else. Everybody got that? Good. All right. But I want you to understand something. I want you to see something here that, that's implied. This is kind of subtle, okay? So just hang with me here. But I think this is true. The implication here is that as I, we'll just use you and me, okay? As I am loved by Jesus, as I experience his love, that committed, unconditional, self-sacrificing love, as, as that fills me up, as I then in turn love you in the same way, you get a glimpse, you get a taste of God's love in real time. Right there. That in that moment, I become the hands and the feet and the voice of Christ to you, and I love you in that way. And when you love me in the way that Christ has loved you, in that moment, I'm experiencing, in some sense, I'm experiencing God's love for me in a tangible way, right there. You are the hands and feet and voice of Christ in that moment to me. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know, we talk about, we're going to share God's love with other people. But have you ever thought that, man, there, there's something so concrete, so real about that? I, I tried to think of a good illustration for that, this, and I couldn't come up with one. So here's what I did come up with. Um, uh, anybody have like a, a grandmother who has a recipe that they've passed down from generation to generation? You know what I'm talking about? So let's just pretend that I have a grandmother who has this pasta recipe. Okay, say it's spaghetti recipe. And she passes it on to my parents who pass it on to me. And then I have you over for dinner one night. And I'm like, when I, when I bring that spaghetti out, what do I say? I say, this is my grandma's spaghetti. And then what do you say? You go, oh, that's amazing. That's so good. Because you're kind and polite and wonderful people. That's how you respond, all right? But, but check this out. Now, is it, is it my recipe? No, it's my grandmother's recipe. But did she make the pasta? Like, is she the one who's handing you the pasta? No. But I don't claim it for my own. I say, this is grandma's recipe. This is grandma's spaghetti. Enjoy it. 
Grandma's dead, all right? Let's just get morbid here, all right? Grandma's not in the picture. And yet, in that moment, right, you are experiencing Grandma's spaghetti right there. Okay, like I said, not a great illustration, but do you see what I'm saying? It's like in this moment, as I am experiencing God's love, he gives it to me, it fills me up, and as I then love you, you get a taste right there of God's love. You, you know, in, um, I, I don't have a slide for this, but you know, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul is talking about uh, people who've been persecuted, people who are facing affliction. He says, he, he says uh, he's talking about how they need to be comforted. And what you expect him to say in this passage is that, that God is going to come in and he's going to swoop in and God is going to comfort these people who've been afflicted. But that's not what he says. You know what he says? He says, you who have been comforted by God, you comfort them. He says, I, I, I'm comforting you. Now you go and you comfort them. Do you see that picture? It's the same idea that, that we're supposed to, as we're comforted by God, as we're loved by God, now I give that to you and you experience God's love, God's comfort through me. See, so many of us, I think, we, we stand outside of Christian community. We stand outside of it and then we wonder why we're not experiencing God's love. You know, I'm not sure if God really loves me. Well, you know what his plan was for you? To be in the body, to be in community, to be in those relationships because sometimes I'm really filled up by God's love, but other times, you know what? It's a dry season. There, there's times where I'm not feeling it in the same way. And so God's design for me, God's plan for me is to, to come and to be part of this body, to be part of this community. And in that, I experience God's love. Now notice, I'm not saying that we don't experience God's love apart from other people, right? We, we understand, I mean, look at this verse, the prerequisite, in fact, he says, just as I have loved you, right? It starts with me receiving Christ's love into my own heart. Right? It starts with me knowing his love and experiencing that. Just in the same way that in, in 2 Corinthians 1, the, the prerequisite is that I'm already comforted. And in fact, in Scripture tells us of God's love, the Holy Spirit testifies to us that we're his children, that we are loved. And yet, and yet, in that relationship, in that community... There's a unique expression of God's love as you are the hands and feet and voice of Christ to me and vice versa. And in that, we experience Jesus' unconditional, deep, deeply committed, and self-sacrificing love. One, one of the problems that I think we run into is, is that, like I said, we, we, we hold ourselves out of the community. And maybe not physically, right? We still show up for church or whatever, but we're, we're hesitant to let people know us. And we're hesitant to really get to know other people because let's face it, it's much easier to love people at a distance. Everybody looks lovely if you just get far enough away. But, but notice that Jesus' love, what do we say? It's, it's deeply committed, it's unconditional, it's self-sacrificing, but also this is what I would call a knowing love. This is not like Jesus just sort of like, I love everybody. You know that bumper sticker, Jesus loves you, but then again, he loves everyone. You know, and the idea here is that it's just sort of like this indiscriminate loving. Jesus just loves everybody because he doesn't really, he doesn't need to know anybody specifically, but that's not what we find in scripture. What we find about Jesus's love is that God knows each and every one of us, that Jesus knew, he's, who's he talking to right here? The disciples, he knows these men. This is a specific love. This is not blind love. This is not abstract concept of I love everyone. No. This is specific love for specific people with specific ramifications. Namely, he goes to the cross. 
See, Jesus' love is not blind. This is, he knows us. He, he doesn't stand off at a distance so that we look lovely. Right? And, and, and so if we're supposed to love one another, that means that we've, we've got to shrink that distance. We can't stand back at a distance and say, hey, you look great. I love you. I love you. That's fantastic. That's not Jesus' love. In fact, Christian love, what we find very clearly is that it is love for the unlovable. See, anybody can love the lovely. You know, in, uh, in Luke 6, I, I think it is, Jesus says, um, he says, if you love people who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. In other words, you're not going to get an award for that. You're not going to get a gold star for loving people who love you, who are lovely to you, who are kind to you. I bet you also laugh at funny people and find babies adorable, right? There's, there's no reward in that. There's nothing special about that. Everybody does that. Now, to be Christians, to have Christian love, to love like Christ means to love in knowledge, to know people, to be known. And so if you and I... If we were to experience that kind of love, that, that God's love for us and for each other in that unique way, then it means that, that I have to know you, the real you, not the persona that you've created, not whatever you've built up and the image that you're trying to portray, but to know the real you. Because otherwise, I never have that opportunity to love you as you really are. And conversely, I have to let you know the real me. Because if, if, if you're just loving that carefully crafted persona that I want you all to see, that, that me, that version of me that I've sort of created, if that's what you're loving, and I, let's face it, I know if that's who you're really loving, and you're not loving the real me because I've never let you see it, then, then that love, that God's love that we're supposed to taste and experience in that, it, it never penetrates to me. Does that make sense? It, this requires this vulnerability. And, and of course, the, this is scary, right? This is hard. In fact, we don't like this. The fact is, we don't want to get to know anyone, not really, and we don't really want anyone to know us. See, it's much easier for me to stand out here and to that love is blind thing and say, I love all of you because if I actually get to know you and have to love you for who you really are, what am I going to find? People are messy. You have pain, you have struggles, you have problems, and, and heaven forbid, I might actually be obligated to do something about them. Uh, my buddy John uh, from India, he, uh, we went to school together, and he said, what's with you Americans? Because he'd walk through campus, and there'd be somebody walking up to him, and they'd be like, hey, John, how's it going? He'd be like, well, now that you mentioned it, I was doing it, you know, and they're gone. <laughs> and he's like, what's wrong with you people? Like, why do you ask if you don't care? See, we don't really want to know how everybody's doing. We just don't. People are messy. And I don't really want you to know me either because, let's face it, I'm messy. See, I'm not my Facebook profile page, right? I'm not my resume. I'm not what I want everybody to see. There's a deeper part of me, and, and that's messy, and I'm afraid that you might reject that. And so we go through life holding ourselves outside, standing outside of community, never experiencing God's love because we don't want to know anyone and we don't want to be known. I read a, um, a study this, this last week. Uh, this is coming out of uh, Duke University, University of Arizona. And I found this fascinating and incredibly depressing. Uh, but it was, it was a, a study done over 30 years. And the, the, uh, going back to 1985, and they said that one out of four, okay, listen, one out of four Americans, when, when they were polled, had no confidant. 
They had nobody that they could confide in. They had nobody who knew what was really going on in their lives. They had nobody to really share their hopes and dreams and passions and hurts and struggles and everything else. No one who really knew them. Not one. Not a friend, not a spouse, not a family member. None. One out of four. Fast forward 30 years. Almost. And that percentage has almost doubled. It is now one out of, almost one out of every two people who would say, I don't have anybody to confide in. I don't have anybody to share with. Nobody who really knows the real me. Guys, we are lonely and isolated people. Statistically, half of you in here feel like nobody really knows you. Nobody knows the full extent of you. Nobody really knows what's going on in your life. One out of two. That's heartbreaking. That is staggering to me. And can I tell you right now, it's incredibly dangerous. It's, it's incredibly dangerous. It's, it's dangerous spiritually and physically. I, I want to go somewhere that I, I just want to be really sensitive to this. And so just understand, I want to tread lightly here. But I remember, I remember the first time that somebody close to me took their own life. Has that happened to you? I bet it has. And I was so angry. Because you just want to say, just call me. Like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you say that that's where you were? Why didn't you say there was a problem? Why didn't you tell me that something was hurting you right then? That there was this struggle? I don't know if I could have done anything, but man, I would have been there for you. You ever had somebody that you knew and and you didn't see it coming? Right? See, it's dangerous to try to live on our own. You think about Columbine and Sandy Hook and these tragedies, right? What do they always say? These guys are loners. Nobody knows them. See, it's dangerous to live on our own. We were not meant to live alone. We're supposed to have other people in our corner. Other people who know what's going on with us. Other people to say, your life matters. God loves you. Let's struggle through this together. And every one of us, right, we've all wrestled, maybe not to that extent, Right? Maybe not to that extent. I pray that no one in here right now is, is at that point where they're going, man, I, you've got those self-destructive tendencies. Can I just say real quick, pause, if that's where you are this morning. I don't know a lot of you. Not well. But can I just say, I'm here. Paul's here. We got elders here. We got good people here. Don't, don't be silent. Okay? If you hear nothing else this morning, don't be silent. But for all of us, But for all of us, we've all struggled with sin, right? That sin that we don't want anybody else to know about and we're going to have our secret sin over here. Understand, guys, this is spiritual warfare. This is exactly where Satan wants to take us. He wants us to take our sin and to hide it in this little corner over here and say, hey, this, nobody else is dealing with this. Don't let anybody see it. You hide it over here, okay? And it grows and it festers and it destroys us, okay? So let me get specific for a moment and let everybody get uncomfortable, okay? So guys, men, pornography is killing us. You know why? Because it's so easy to hide. It's killing us. It's killing our marriages, our families, our jobs, us, our souls, all right? And I know you've heard this before, but hear it again because nobody seems to have figured it out that well, all right? You've got to bring it out into the light. You know what? You can't do that on your own. It's really hard. You know what you need? You need a buddy. You need somebody who can get in your corner. If you think you're the only guy dealing with this, come on, wake up. 
but you get a buddy, somebody that you can trust, and together, you know what you do? You drag that sin out into the light where it shrivels up and dies. The truth will set you free. Ladies, I, pornography is on the rise, so we could jump on that ship. But you know what? I don't know what else you might be struggling with, but there's, there's things. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's jealousy towards somebody else. Maybe it's bitterness over something that's happened. You've got things that you are hiding in your life, and you need a girlfriend. You need a buddy who's going to help you drag that out into the light and put it to death. See, sin cannot survive in the light. It cannot survive in the light. The truth will set you free. See, we cannot keep living in isolation. It is dangerous. It's exactly where Satan wants us to be. And he is picking us off one by one. You know where the safety is? Think about a herd of sheep. Where's the safety? In the herd. You all get together and then you got that shepherd with the big staff. Right? It's in this body. It's in that community. When people know you, that's where the safety is. When you're out on your own, man, he's a wolf. He's a lion. He's going to devour you. We are living in isolation. And the irony is, of course, that it's not physical isolation. And this is what throws us. It's not physical isolation. We, we live in the suburbs. We're right next to the third most populated city in America. We're surrounded by people. We're surrounded by people at work, at church, in our jobs, uh, at home, with our families, on Facebook, right? We're surrounded by people and yet no one knows us and we don't know them. And can I just point out that Facebook isn't helping? Well, I'm on my little rant, all right? Facebook is not helping. Social media is not helping. I read a study that said that uh, uh, the, a person's happiness is inversely related to how much time they spend on Facebook. So if you're feeling depressed, don't go on Facebook, all right? (laughs) Maybe it's time to unplug. See, we are living in isolation. We are alone. We are living outside of this community and wondering, why don't we feel God's love? Why aren't we comforted? Why doesn't anybody know us? It's because we don't want to know them, and we don't want anyone to know us. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. See, in a weird way, it's like we're all on this giant, never-ending first date. You ever been on a first date? You know, you, you get dressed up, you put on your best, your best outfit, and, and you put on a good show, right? That's a first date. And see, for so many of us, that's what, how we're still trying to live. But can I just tell you right now that you are not your Facebook profile page. You're not your resume. You know who you are? You are, and I am, a sinner saved by grace. And until we can relate to one another, until we can love each other at that level where I see you and I know you and I know your sin and I say, I love you anyway and you see me and you know my sin, right? Together we're dragging that sin out into the light. You know what's going on with me until you see that and you say, I love you. Then I'm not experiencing that relationship. I'm not experiencing God's love in that way. That's the level at which we have to get. That's the level of vulnerability. Dietrich, excuse me, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, uh, he has this quote that's so good, I just wanted to uh, share it with you here. Talking about this, he says, the final breakthrough to fellowship, and what he's talking about here in fellowship, he's talking about this kind of community where we're really knowing each other, 
where we're experiencing God's love in such a way that it transforms us and makes us more like Christ. He says, what keeps us from breaking through to that, it does not occur because they, talking about this imaginary church example, have this sort of quasi-fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people. They don't have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and the fellowship. The fact is, we are sinners. See, guys, this is what he's saying. He says, look, we show up on Sunday mornings and we get dressed up and we come in here and we praise God and we look all pious and devout. And that's great, except for the fact that if that's as far as it goes, if that's the surface level, then we never get below that. And we never experience the fullness of God's love. We're never going to experience that. What he intends for us. We are never going to get the full benefit of what God wants us to experience through the body of Christ. Unless we break through that surface level Sunday morning. It's got to go beyond that. And I will be the first to tell you that that is not easy. It's not easy to love somebody. To let somebody know you like that. To say, hey, this is where I'm struggling. Can I trust you with this? It's not easy. In fact, I, I, would, I would just say that it's impossible. Apart from God. Apart from his love. What did we say the prerequisite was? Remember? It says that you love one another as I've loved you. Right? We have already received Jesus' love. See, if, if I haven't already received Jesus' love into my heart. If I haven't come to God on that basis that I am a sinner. If I haven't had that conversation with him that says, oh God, I've tried. I've tried to to please you. I've tried to be perfect. I've tried to create this false me, this version of me that everybody would love, that you would approve of, and God is not working. Until I come to God in in humility and say, I've rebelled against you. I've rejected you. And then to receive by grace through faith, God's love through Christ who died on the cross for our sins so that I wouldn't pay the penalty that I had to pay until that captivates my heart. Then I cannot love you and I cannot be loved with God's love. See, when I've experienced God's love in that way, then I I can love you. And you can, I can see your sin and you can offend me and you can be Right? You, what does Jesus say? Love those who persecute you. So even those who persecute us, who offend us, who hurt us, we can love them because that's what Christ did for us. And I can receive God's love for me through you because I can let you know that I'm a sinner. God knows I'm a sinner. You should know that I'm a sinner. It shouldn't be a big shock to anybody. Sinner. All of you, sinners. Okay, let's quit pretending we're something that we're not. We're sinners, but you know what? Even if you reject me, it's okay because God accepts me. See, I can, I can approach you at that level because of that prerequisite that I have experienced, I have known Christ's love in my life. Um, let, me, uh, let me close with this, and I'm going to give a little pitch at the end, all right? But this is what I want to end with. Um, some of you are sitting out here tonight and, or this morning, and you're going, um, that all sounds great except that you're not buying any of it. <laughs> you're like, yeah, right. That all sounds too clean, too nice, too neat. Let me just reiterate that people are messy. You get into this, it's going to be a mess, right? If you really start to get to know people, get ready. It's going to get ugly. But you know what? God makes beautiful things out of ugly situations. That's God's grace. So it's not pretty. It's not clean. It's not nice. 
All right, I'm, I'm the, the first one to admit that none of this is, is easy and happy, okay? And it could end badly, I'll just tell you. All right, I'm just going to be honest with you. And some of you are saying, hey, I've been burned before. You know, you were like me saying, it's me and God. I'm not going there anymore. You're coming out of church situations or relationships or whatever where you've been burned and you're saying, I'm not going to have any of that. And so can I just challenge you and just encourage you to try again? Just step up, try again. Listen, don't let that person or those people who burned you in the past control you. Don't let them keep burning. Look, if, if you are missing out on what God has for you in community and in relationship, that what God wants to do in your life, if you're missing out on that because of what they did to you in the past, then guess what? They're still burning you. They're still winning. Move past that. I'm not saying it's going to be safe. Is it, is it safe? No, it's not safe. Be wise, okay? I'm not saying just... Go out there and share all your dirty laundry with everybody who come in contact with. No, be wise. Look for trusted people. Get to know people. Test it out, okay? But look, even then it's not safe. But guess what? If you want safe, you're following the wrong Savior. Okay, he's not safe. He's good. And he wants good things for you. So just my encouragement to you is to try again. Maybe right now you're sensing that God is saying, hey, maybe, maybe we need to try this again. I just encourage you to follow through with that. Um, okay, so here's the pitch, all right? In your, in your bulletins, you came in with a pen, and in your bulletin, there's a, there's a form there, and it's got small groups. And uh, let me just challenge you right now. Listen, if you are not in a small group already, if you're not in a small group, if you are not in a community of believers where people know you, if you don't have accountability, somebody, that 3 a.m. friend that you can call up and say, hey man, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to handle this. If you don't have somebody that you can turn to who really knows what's going on in your life, then I'm going to put this as strongly as I can. You must fill this out this morning. Now, I have no way of enforcing that at all, okay? So don't be scared. You, you can leave here and I can't do anything about it. But listen, do yourselves a favor, all right? God wants you to experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness. He wants you to experience him in a life-changing way through community. So if you don't have that, fill it out. Fill it out. Now, some of you are going to look at this and say, well, I don't know all the details. There's a brief description on there. There's some different nights that we, we, we are planning on having small groups. If you're looking at that and going, well, I don't know if I like the description, or maybe it's not informative enough, or I don't see a night that works with me. Listen. If you aren't already in a small group, if you don't already have that community, fill it out anyway. We will follow up with you over the next couple of weeks. All I'm asking for you to do is to take that next step. To put yourself out there. Kind of sounds like we're dating, isn't it? It's kind of like that, all right? Put yourself back out there. Take that next step. We'll, we'll work it out, okay? Write in a day that does work for you. And then we'll follow up and we'll try to, our, everything we can to make a small group work for that night, okay? But take that step and let's see if we can figure this out and put you in a position where you can know some people who are going to stand by you, who are going to love you, and you can experience God's love like that.